Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is the 411 from 406. My name is Chewy, and I am joined once again by my brother from another mother, Mr. Pip. How are you, sir? Uh, I'm always in a good mood when I'm podcasting with you, my friend. Doing good. How are you? I'm good. It, it, uh, it's, it's been a while. It, uh, I know that we say that it seems like every episode, this is the way we start every episode with, you know, the yep. intro and then it's been a little while, uh, <laughs> but it has, it, but it has what's, uh, let's see. In fact, the last time we podcasted, uh, it was actually was in w- within this month though. So that's good. Or at least the last time I posted the, uh, to the website, it was March the 6th. Today is March the 24th. So we're at least within, within the calendar month. So that's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that was, uh, what did we talk about? God, I don't even remember. Uh, we we talked about our we talked about our favorite DC universe films that ah. was not The Dark Knight. Yeah. So, a quick follow up on that. I, I mean, I stand by my list. I'm still pretty happy with what I chose, but I wanted to mention this because I had sent you a text the other night. I've been an outspoken hater of Zack Snyder and his universe uh, when he picked up DC around the time of Man of Steel and and pretty much everything after that. I'm not a hater, but I definitely didn't like the direction or the casting or the stories or any of that stuff. I watched the Peacemaker show on HBO, the one that features John Cena, which is an appropriate eventual segue for this podcast. But it is fantastic. I was shocked how much I enjoyed this show. And I implore you to make the time to watch it because I think it's really good. And I'm going to go out and say something just a tad bit controversial. I think it's the best thing James Gunn has ever done. And that includes Guardians of the Galaxy. I really, really like this show. It's very extreme. It's very over the top with... uh, graphic violence and language and all that kind of stuff. But I think that John Cena as an actor has finally found his niche. I think that he found his swim lane that he can now stay in because, I mean, let's be honest, as an actor, he's probably a really good wrestler. But (laughs) as a sort of token action star, I think he does okay. He's serviceable, but he's really good in this show. And there are a lot of interesting casting choices and good performances, even by uh, Robert Patrick, uh, who we know from the bad Terminator and Terminator 2. Yeah. So yeah, I highly recommend our audience and you especially to, to check it out when you can. It's one of the, it's a show obviously on HBO Max, so you don't have to sit down and dedicate a whole lot of time. I think it's about a 45 minute uh, show each time, but one of the great things about it is there is a ton of really awesomely shitty hair music hair metal is music there? yeah okay the, the opening song for the show is this norwegian hair metal band that i have never heard of called wigwam or something nice. like that nice. but it's such an insanely catchy song and it just it fits with everything else that that show is trying to do so i definitely recommend watching that that's awesome i uh, i am not is that is that a new I'm not familiar with that character at all. Is that a brand new character or is that a, do you know? I, I don't know. Honestly, uh, the DC universe got pretty deep with their D list characters in the latest suicide squad movie. Yeah. 
And John Cena's character of the Peacemaker was one of those. And they had like Polka Dot Man and they had some really obscure shit, Rat Catcher and things like that. Bunch of characters that I'd never heard of. So I honestly don't know what characters were made up for that show versus what they pulled out of the comics. I have to assume that most of them, they probably pulled out of the comics. But John Cena, you know, being the star that he is, uh, you know, they decided to give him his own spinoff show. And it was a lot of fun. It was a really, really enjoyable okay. watch. The, the, the fact that you can make the statement, even, even if it's hyperbolic, that it's the best thing that James Gunn has done absolutely will, will make me take a look at that for sure. I think so. I've never been an overwhelming uh, huge fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I didn't really love them until they came into the fold with the rest of the Avengers in uh, Infinity War and Endgame, but you know they were good movies. They were serviceable. They were fine. But this is something that I, you know, this show kind of ran the gamut of emotions. There were parts that I couldn't watch because they were just so graphic and disgusting, and then there were parts that I was laughing out loud five minutes later. So it kind of runs back and forth, and and yeah, I just I really dug it. That's interesting. There, uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny, you know, not that we're going to talk about James Gunn all night, but it was you know prior to him uh doing guardians of the galaxy i knew him from horror right so he was the director of slither and then there was a there was a a movie called the belko experiment which i really enjoyed in fact i've got a copy of it here somewhere i'm happy to send it to you it was um i've not seen it yeah so that's that's kind of where i knew him from again pre pre guardians i guess that doesn't surprise me to hear you say that it's kind of over the top and gory and graphic. Cause that's a, that's the way a lot of his horror movies are too. So that's cool. I will, I will absolutely check that out. Yeah. I definitely highly recommend. So you, you mentioned, you mentioned the segue of, of John Cena. Do you want to tell our, our listeners what we're talking about tonight? Yeah. Well, I guess I'll start off on a, on a bit of a sad and sour note. This will be one of the, I don't know, maybe two, three times in the last Gosh, it got to be, it has to be 20 years at this point, uh, or 15 years maybe, that we're unfortunately not going to be able to be with each other for WrestleMania. And that was, you know, certainly a tough thing to reconcile with. I'm taking spring break vacation with my family. So I will be in Florida while WrestleMania is taking place. So it is the road to WrestleMania. It is the season. It's coming up. I believe it's what it's next weekend, right? Not this weekend, but the following weekend. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, it's going to be Saturday two nights. It's going to be Saturday and Sunday. So April 2nd and April 3rd. Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be quite the disappointment to not watch it with you. But in honor of the season, I thought that it would be a good idea to do something wrestling flavored, which is certainly not outside of our wheelhouse. And I thought, why not try our top five favorite WrestleMania matches of all time? And I mean, when I was looking this stuff up, I had a much more difficult time than I thought I was going to have. And I'm trying not to pick some of the more obvious ones, but I had to throw at least one or two in there. But, you know, for me as a wrestling fan, I kind of took a bit of a sabbatical, you know, between probably for about 10 years, maybe 10 or 12 years where I didn't really watch anything from the attitude era, which admittedly I missed out on a lot or a lot of really great stuff. And, you know, like the rock when he was in his prime and stone cold and things like that. So I missed a lot of good stuff. So my list is, is not really heavy in that era specifically, but yeah, there's some, this, there were some really tough choices here. Yeah. So this was, so 
just to kind of pull back the production curtain a little bit here. So we, we came to this topic very late in the quote unquote production schedule, i.e. earlier this morning yeah. <laughs> was actually maybe even this no, afternoon. Was it was we, later this afternoon yeah. that I said, Hey, uh, what do you think about this instead? Yeah. And you're like, well, okay. All right. Yeah. So, so originally we, we had, I threw out the idea of, which is super morbid, but favorite dead wrestlers, you know, because unfortunately we lost another one of our greats here within the last week. Scott Hall passed away. And I think we did a little bit of reflection there. And, and again, not that we have any problems talking about dead wrestlers, because I'm sure there will be a gang of them that come up on this list tonight. But I think you pointed out pr- probably pretty accurately that there would be a ton of overlap on that list, right? I mean, you've got Macho Man, you've got the Ultimate Warrior, you've got Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hedding, you, you know, like th- there would have probably been a, a huge overlap in it. And uh, it might not have been a, a, a um, super enthralling conversation. I think what we have done, maybe inadvertently, is gone almost the way the other way, swung the pendulum way the other way, because as you had mentioned when we started, even before we started recording, this was really, really hard, especially on, you know, eight hours notice. And I I mentioned, I'm even as I'm sitting here starting to record this podcast, I have a list of like 16 matches that I haven't really ranked. I'm not going to go through all 16. I'll give you a five, but I think it just kind of goes to show that, you know, and, and one of the things that we did early in the podcast, we don't do or very, very rarely do we do best lists. We do favorites lists. And, and one of the reasons that I like to do that is because what I'm enjoying or what's my favorite today might very well change tomorrow, right? Especially when we're talking about something like so something so subjective as, as wrestling or as movies or what have you, especially songs, right? That one is really where the favorites list is going to change from day to day for me. So yeah, this, this was not an easy list to put together, but I'm really looking forward to this conversation, especially since even though we have both been lifelong professional wrestling fans, kind of how we how we kind of came to where we are today i think our paths were very different like you said you took a big long break there in the middle which is fine i i imagine you've gone back and watched some of that stuff or maybe you haven't but yeah i i would imagine you will see on my list some some older stuff as well and even though i didn't take that break at least from wrestlemania during those years I think you will find that you're not going to see most of any of my matches are from that era that you missed, maybe with one exception. So it'll be yep. interesting when we get into it. Oh, for sure. I, uh, I think it's going to be really fun. And on top of, you know, just to kind of take a step back, one of the other reasons that I didn't want to do the, you know, the wrestlers that we've lost list is because I feel like a lot of those we've talked about in great detail with our Mount Rushmore podcast that we did a while back. I mean, if I'm thinking back to mine, I have to say at least three that were on my Mount Rushmore probably are, would end up again on this list. And, you know, I, I can only talk about some of these guys so many times, the ultimate warrior, whatever, you know, those types of characters again. But I, I think that this is more topical just because WrestleMania is coming up. And it's nice to revisit some of this stuff and, and go back and do a little research and remember why we like this stuff. Uh, to begin with, why why these matches were so important. So yeah, this will be good. Awesome. 
All right. So where uh, do you, would you like to start? Do you want me to go first? How, how you want to handle this? And I think we're going to do what? We're going to do five favorites and then yeah. an honorable mention. <clears throat> yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. So I'll go ahead and start just because I want to end with your pick. I, I kind of I'm, I'm interested okay. to see where we end up and how many overlaps we have. And, and I, you know, obviously there are a lot of matches. It'd be interesting to do a quick count of how many WrestleMania matches there have been. Oh, Jesus. To this date. I mean, because we're at what? WrestleMania 30. Where are we? This will be. Th- this is 37 36. this year. They okay, don't, 37. Yeah, they don't they don't they don't number them that way anymore. But this is this is number. Actually, no, I take that back. This is 38. This so will this be 38. is 38. It's fair to assume that there have been on if you average out, there's probably 400 matches. At this I was going to say, right? yeah, just a, a round number. You figured 10. Yeah. Probably About 400 10 per card. And then you've got like WrestleMania four, which was like ridiculously long. Yeah. I mean, well, and the last and the last three years now have had two different nights. Right. So you've got you've got mm-hmm. two full nights of cards as well. Yeah, which, that works to varying, varying degrees of success. In my opinion, I would prefer a single night, but that's neither here nor there. So before we start, though, you brought up the whole two night thing. And of course, this upcoming WrestleMania, I, I'd like to pick your brain on this for a second, because I would like to get your thoughts on what you think is going to happen with the Stone Cold Steve Austin, Kevin Owens bit that's going on, because they're allegedly headlining night one. And it's not a match. They keep saying it. They for, I, I don't know. I've been really confused about the message. I don't know if you have too, but like it came out and stone cold said, I haven't been there for 19 years, which isn't exactly true. He's been to WrestleMania. He hasn't wrestled maybe in 19 years, right? But he made that comment about not, not open up a can of whoop ass for 19 years, but he's coming back to do a talk show. And I don't know, like, I'm really confused about what they're going with. And I wanted to know your thoughts about what you think the end game is going to be for this particular setup. Uh, do you so, think it's going to turn into a match? I mean, could it? I, Really? I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, honestly, I have not really paid attention to kind of the build to WrestleMania. I will, you know, before I go into the, the event next Saturday night, I will know way more than I do now. But I, I mean, I, all I've really seen has been kind of, you know, Twitter headlines and that kind of stuff. As far as Stone Cold and, and Kevin Owens, I believe right now the way they're positioning it is Austin is going to be a special guest on the whatever talk show that Kevin Owens does. I don't yeah. you know. It's kind of like a Piper's pit kind of thing where, he, you know, he's doing that. So I would be shocked if there isn't some physicality there. Oh, I, there I don't will s- be. I, I, I mean, don't see. Yeah. He doesn't right. not stun people anymore, but right. I mean, is that, is that going to be enough? I mean, if it's headlining one of the two nights, like, do they have to do something else for that? I, 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 I really don't know. So um, I'm, I'm just looking at Wikipedia here after weeks of disrespecting the state of Texas on March 7th, Kevin Owens invited the Texas rattlesnake as a special guest on the KO show. A day later, Austin accepted and it was announced that the segment would occur on WrestleMania Saturday. So I, I don't know now if I'm looking at the, the matches that are announced for WrestleMania Saturday, it doesn't list that as a match. It's, yeah. So, so I don't know. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure that Austin necessarily 
wants to kind of come back into the ring as, as any sort of a performer. No. Um, I, I don't know that he could, I mean, I suppose he could, right. I mean, you, you look at guys like edge and Daniel Bryan, like these guys literally broke their necks and, you know, are back as being full-time wrestlers at this point. If I had to guess, this is a way to get Kevin Owens onto the card and bring a big name back into the card. You know, yeah. the WrestleMania is taking place in Arlington, Texas this year. So it makes sense if you're going to bring Austin back, this is the year, you know, like, so I don't know if I had to guess, it would probably be just nothing more than a segment a la, you know, Piper and Morton Downey Jr. Oh, God. You know, right. Which was terrible. If I had to guess, that's what it would be. It would be, it would be four or five minutes of KO cracking on the state of Texas, cracking on Steve Austin, um, them coming out, doing a little verbal, you know, sparring, and then, you know, hit the, you know, stunner beers, more stunners, more beers, that kind of thing. If I had to guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what I feel like is inevitable. I kind of hope they flip the script a little bit and do something fun with it something more fun than just that because i think everybody knows that you don't invite stone cold to wrestlemania without expecting him to do something like that so i don't know i guess i'm just hoping that i mean can you imagine can you imagine what would happen at at cowboy stadium if austin gets out there and they start a match or they do something like that i mean the place would absolutely explode yeah the roof the roof is there a roof the, the, if there is a roof on Texas Stadium, it would come off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think there might be a retractable one now, but um, yeah. So that's that. I think is one of the most interesting parts. It's unfortunately a little bit overshadowing what should be the most interesting part, which would be Roman versus Brock. But I also think what's really interesting right now is that Seth Rollins is not lined up to have a match yet, and they're making a big storyline out of that right now. And there's a lot of buzz going around about Cody Rhodes not being in AEW anymore. Yeah, and yeah. how he allegedly uh, oh, there was some story that a buddy of mine told me about how something happened with some contract negotiations that might have actually fallen through uh, with him. But I'm not sure, obviously, what happened. Nobody knows. But I, if he shows up, I mean, I was never the hugest Cody Rhodes fan, but just just having somebody come back, I think he would be really well suited to have a kick ass match with Rollins for sure. Yeah, yeah, the, he would. And I'm like you. I'm I was never a huge I was never a huge fan of the Cody Rhodes characters that he played um what there was stardust and uh, a couple other ones but there but there's no taking away what that dude can do in the ring i mean he's an incredible performer and i and i think to your point you know over the last several years all we've seen is talent leaving wwe leaving wwe and going to AEW, going you know to tna or whatever it is and and one of these days they're going to start going back the other direction and you know, Cody Rhodes started AEW or was one of the, was one of the, you know, ground floor folks. Yep. I mean, talk, talk about, talk about a huge statement. If, you know, he were to leave AEW and go back to WWE. I mean, I, I don't think there's any doubt that WWE is still kind of the, the number, you know, the kind of big dog on the block, but I think that would just go a really long way, especially in 2022 
of of still cementing that fact in everybody's mind at least yeah. you know now again i'm i'm biased i don't watch AEW, and it's not because i don't enjoy the product it's just i just don't have time for another professional wrestling show so but anyways all right so why don't we start off you've got your you've got your what your number five or one of your top five i don't know if we're going to rank them but your uh your number five favorite all-time wrestlemania match all right, so I'll start with my number five, and this may be this may be one you see coming, but I'm going to guess maybe not. It's not going to be a huge surprise, but one of the probably, I don't know if it was the worst WrestleMania, or no, I'm sorry, it definitely wasn't the worst WrestleMania. I think that was nine, and I'll be shocked if any of us have any matches off of WrestleMania nine. What are you talking about? I got Giant Gonzalez and Undertaker here. What are you talking about? <laughs> really? Because I had Tatanka and Shawn Michaels. Um <laughs> No, this was WrestleMania eight. And, and I'm sad to say that it wasn't a more popular WrestleMania because it was in my uh, backyard. It was it was downtown Indianapolis, formerly the Hoosier Dome, then the RCA Dome and now Lucas Oil Field. And this was Rowdy Roddy Piper versus Brett the Hitman Hart. I, I had to put this on here because this was such an interesting match. Rowdy Piper walked into this match, the Intercontinental Champion which I think was crazy because Piper was never known for holding a belt of any kind. And he had won it previously from the Mountie. I don't remember when specifically, but it was one of the first times that I think, at least in the era that I was watching, that they ever gave him a belt. And I thought that was really exciting. He was a face at the time. And so they put him against Hart, Bret Hart at WrestleMania 8. And, and this was where really Bret Hart was, if memory serves, this is when he was really getting some wheels underneath his career as a solo wrestler because he had been with Jim the Anvil Neidhart for so long as part of the Hart Foundation. And so I believe this was the first time that that Brett actually, uh, you know, got a, a proper title shot, or at least this was the first time that he won the Intercontinental Belt, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I could be wrong on that. You may have to look that up for me. But anyways, it was a fantastic match. And one of the things that I liked the most about it, well, there are two things I love about it. One was the finish. I thought the finish was fantastic. I still have not seen a finish like that before where Piper had uh, Brett in the sleeper hold and Brett runs to the corner with, with Piper holding on to him, runs up the turnbuckle and flips and causes Piper to land on his back. And it turns into this, this really unique pin that I still don't think we've ever seen. And that was really great. But the other thing that I, and the thing that I love the most about this match is that Hart really made Piper look like a wrestler and, you know, he, he helped really give Roddy Piper a lot of technical credibility, which, you know, Roddy Piper never had. He, he's a brawler. That's his style. He swings, he bites, he claws, he crotches people. He, pokes their eyes, you know, he does all that stuff. He's not known for being a wrestler. He's known for being a character and a brawler. And I think that that match helped at least a little bit to legitimize Piper, I think in a different sort of wrestling class. Uh, I don't think he necessarily went on to be a great wrestler after that or did anything different, but that was one of the, the best matches I've ever seen him wrestle. And it's, it's more of a testament, obviously, to Bret Hart because he could make anybody look good. He could make Roddy Piper look like a wrestler. That means that Bret Hart really did good things. And this was the start of a pretty meteoric rise for Bret Hart in the WWE. So that's my uh, that's my number five. WrestleMania 8 in Indianapolis. Bret Hart beats Rowdy Roddy Piper for the Intercontinental belt. Yeah, you know, so, so like I said, as as we um, as we started this podcast and again, just 
I think, I think I've gone through this in the past, but basically when, when I'm going through and I'm doing these top five or 10 lists, I will go and I'll do my research and I just kind of put a bunch of stuff into a spreadsheet and then I will go and kind of rank accordingly. I came into the beginning of the recording of this podcast and I had 16 matches and that was one of the 16. So I will, I will pick another one off my list. So I'll put that into my kind of other category. I won't use that. I appreciate that. But, but yeah, yeah. I mean, for all the reasons that you listed, I I love that match. And I also, I, I was, I was very cognizant also of, and I didn't do it very often, but choosing matches that were not main events that were not the last match on the card, or at least I tried to do that. And that was one that wasn't right. So WrestleMania eight, I think the, the final match on the card, what was it? It was, was that the Sid Hogan? Yeah. That's the one where terrible. the, yeah. I don't the warrior even came back. the match. I just remember that Papa Shango shows up and then all yeah. of a sudden that's the warriors music. Right. And everybody went shit house crazy. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, this, in my opinion, the, the Bret Hart versus Piper match is clearly the best match on that card. So, all right. So give me your number four. So or, my number, <laughs> your number uh, <yeah>. five, <laughs> my number five, my number five is a match that has really kind of grown on me over the years. When I first watched it, I thought it was kind of boring. And if a, if a wrestling fan that was only familiar with today's wrestling were to go back and watch this match now, they might think it's boring, but me coming at this match, especially now as I get older and as I look to see kind of where this feud went and where both of these guys ended their careers, I just have more and more reverence for this match. This is the 60-minute Iron Man match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels from WrestleMania 12. It represents the first time that Shawn Michaels captured a WWF championship. It was a 60-minute Iron Man match, and the idea with an Iron Man match is whoever gets the most pins or submissions within that 60 minutes is the winner. What really set this one apart was there was not a single pin or submission the entire 60 minutes, and it ended uh, in sudden death when uh, Shawn Michaels hit Bret Hart with a super kick, and you know the kind of the boyhood dream came true, and Shawn Michaels captured his first title. The reason I say this is, you know, again, it's it's an hour long, right? And it is an hour long technical wrestling match. There's a lot of holds in there and it's not necessarily like rest holds and boring stuff, but it's a lot of wrist locks and it's a lot of chain wrestling and those kind of things, which is, which candidly is a type of wrestling that you really don't see much at all today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I don't know, maybe that's why when I go back and I watch this, I really enjoy it just because it's so different from today's product but it it really told a story even within the match and and the way they ended that match the last several minutes of the match i mean there's a bunch of near falls and close calls and those kind of things and the way the regulation period ends bret hart has Shawn michaels in the sharpshooter in his in his submission finisher and he does not tap out he doesn't quit and the bell rings. And of course, Bret Hart thinks that he won and he didn't win. And so he rightfully so is the champion rolls out and he, you know, grabs his belt and he's starting to walk back to the end or to the, to the locker room. And they come over the PA and they said, Nope, we're going to restart the match. And Brett, you know, why, 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 you know, but sure enough, he gets back in the ring. And then two or three minutes later, Sean hits him with a super kick. It, it was just, I mean, the last five or six minutes of the match is incredible, but, 
if you were to just watch those five or six minutes, you really wouldn't get the true depth of the story that they were telling. It's, it's a big investment, but in my opinion, it's, it's worth that investment. I absolutely love this match. Yeah. Wow. That's a, that's an interesting pick because I, this may be one that we respectfully disagree on. And I I'll be honest with you. I don't know if I've ever even sat through the entire match. I certainly have seen the highlights and I'm aware that's the one where, you know, Sean gets the belt and it, it was in San Antonio, right? I believe it was in Texas. And um, I think that the the gimmick of it being an hour-long match is a bit of a challenge because when you put this stipulation in place that it has to be an hour long, I feel like, you know, you it sort of it de-incentivizes the viewer to watch the first 50 minutes because they know sure. that it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, falls can happen at any time. In this case, they didn't, but it sort of sets the stage that, Hey, you know, the first 50 minutes of a 60 minute match aren't really that important, which is sure. kind of crazy because a 60 minute match is a big ask. But that being said, I do remember that finish. I do think that was good. And if memory serves, that was really kind of where the heel turn for Bret Hart kind of started uh, not necessarily full blown, but you know, there was legitimate animosity between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels at the time. And I don't think Bret wanted to drop that belt to Shawn ever. And he had to do it that night. And so I think it sort of naturally and organically became his, you know, his being disenchanted with the business and everything. So, but I mean, yeah, it's, I, it's still a good match. I mean, I'll, I'll give you that. I don't, I don't know any, I mean, matches don't last 60. I mean, the best match no. that there has been, I mean, gosh, the only thing that I feel like that has come close was that, remember that Randy Orton edge match from oh a couple of years ago? And that was ridiculous. Like 45 minutes. And that yeah. was, it was painful. I love both of those guys, but that match was painful. I can't imagine sitting through another a, a total of 60 plus minutes yeah. to get through that. It's just crazy. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I, I, um, I remember when I watched that match live, I, I, I had very much the same thoughts that you, that you did, right? Oh, what, why, you know, Hey, we can just, we can come back 48 minutes from now and, and watch the conclusion. Right. I, th this is one of those that has, that has really grown on me over the years. If I were to have made this list even five years ago, it probably wouldn't have shown up on this list at all. So um, yeah. again, I, I, you know, I think, I think that probably speaks to the way the business has changed. I think it probably speaks to, kind of me as a, as a wrestling fan, just kind of what I enjoy um, as well, you know, like spoiler alert. I don't think I have any tag team matches on my, on my top five here. I, again, the, I'll leave it with this. I, if I would have made this match or this list a couple of years ago, it wouldn't have been on the, on my list. Yeah. I mean, I still think it's a good choice. It's just, it's to your point, it's an investment. Like you got to sit yeah. down and watch that match. Yeah. I mean, you got to dedicate a significant amount of time. And how yep. long was that WrestleMania that the headliner match was 60 minutes? I mean, well, you know, I, I think that I'm pretty sure that WrestleMania card only had like four matches on it. And that's why. Yeah. Um, let me take a look here. I'll pull it but up. Real quick. I have to think that Vince looks back and thinks, wow, that was a really stupid idea because if I have the main event being 60 minutes, I've got to cut a lot of other stuff. I mean, what did they have to cut from that card yeah. in order yeah. to, to not make it five hours long? I mean, that's just yeah, there, bonkers. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was only seven matches on that card and one of them was a free for all. So and, and everything else, the longest other match on that card was 16 minutes. 
Um, and that was Undertaker mm. beating Diesel. So yeah, you're, you're right though. It was a, it was a it was a very different WrestleMania for sure. That's interesting that there were still seven matches, and one of those matches was an hour long. So that's yeah. that's pretty crazy. I bet we're over 400 matches, over 400 WrestleMania matches at this I bet, point. Yeah, I bet we are. Yeah. What do you got for your number four? All right. So my number four is the newest one. It's going to be the most recent. It's still not super recent, but it's the most recent. This was uh, WrestleMania 28 in Miami. And this is John Cena versus The Rock. So before I go into this, I want to say that one of the things that I think was a significant criteria for me to make my list is that the match couldn't be a foregone conclusion. It couldn't be something where I'm like, okay, it's the undertaker. Yeah, of course he's going to beat Shawn Michaels. Of course he's going to beat Ric Flair. Granted the undertaker did lose to Brock Lesnar. But the point being is that there are some matches on every WrestleMania card that you would bet a paycheck on the way that it's going to finish. Right. And I think a really good match has to have some level of ambiguity going into it with like, I don't know who's going to win. The Cena Rock thing was incredible. The build that they did for this lasted a year. It was crazy how long it lasted. And there's a really great documentary that I don't remember the title that you can find on the network where it goes through and they, they you know, they kind of go through all the events that happen. And, you know, it turns out these guys legitimately did not like each other through the majority of the buildup for that feud. And it, it like I said, it took about a year and we finally get to Miami and, you know, I watched a couple minutes of it tonight just to refresh my brain. And, and this was the first time that the rock had been in the ring for a long time at that point. And the crowd was just so they were on fire. They were so jazzed of what was going on. And this is of course the time where Cena's has become a very polarizing character in the WWE half the crowd chants, let's go Cena. And the other half says Cena sucks. Cena right. Sucks. Right. And, and, and that's really fun. It made for a really great dynamic. And I thought the match was fantastic. And I was shocked when the rock won because the whole premise of this whole feud became when John Cena was calling out the rock for being a part-time superstar and going off and doing the movies, which, you know, spoiler alert, ironically, that's exactly what Cena did. But I think that it was really shocking to see the rock win and take the title off of Cena because it was like, oh my God, it was at that moment where everybody had this epiphany, like, oh my God, we're going to have a rematch. Like, we're going to see this again. And of course right. they did the following year and Cena got his revenge and Cena pinned the rock. So I think it was a, a fantastic match. It really, from what I remember, because we watched this together, it had me absolutely on the edge of my seat the entire time. So yeah, John Cena versus The Rock, WrestleMania 28. That's my number four. So this, so this was I, when you were when you were going into it. I was trying to remember if because I know they had two back to back. I just didn't remember if this was the first or the last one because they they literally you were right. They they did it almost a year leading up to both of them, right? Like the mm -hmm. first one, which was this one, and then I'm pretty sure they announced that next one like either the next night or the next week on like it was. I Almost think it was the year. I think it was the the next was it that Monday the raw after mania yeah, yeah I think it was that one yeah which which was funny I I remember watching that raw and we and we were both kind of like oh my god like are we really gonna wait a year and then they <laughs> yes. did sure enough they did yeah right so no it, it, it was yeah I, I was it was billed as once in a lifetime which is really hilarious because right they they did it twice in a lifetime which I don't think is how they 
I don't think that's the tagline they used, but that would have been great. Right. Yeah. No, again, this is, I mean, if you, if you're talking about like guys that, that define an era, the, the rock and John Cena certainly are two of those guys that define the era that they were in. You know, obviously John Cena is a little bit newer or a little bit younger than the rock. If you're kind of going of, you know, looking at the the top, the tippy top guy, you know, you, you, you would probably go with Austin and then he gave way to the rock who then gave way to, you know, maybe Batista or John Cena or what have you. But, but these are two guys that are just at the top of their game. And yeah, this was one of those ones where I think you're right. I think this is one of those matches where you really didn't know who was going to win. I I probably was, I'm guessing I was pulling for Cena just because I was, I'm a big John Cena fan. I always have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember a ton of false finishes and a ton of, you know, Oh, I, you know, I can't believe, you know, stealing each other's finishers yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think yeah. Uh, you made a really good point that I really want to emphasize, which is, you know, uh, we fantasy book all the time. Like what would it be like if uh, Hulk Hogan could face Brock Lesnar or whatever? I, maybe they did fight at one point. I don't know, but you know what I mean? Like the different yeah. generations of wrestlers, what, how cool it would be if, uh, you know, some of these guys faced each other. And I think this is probably the best example of two wrestlers from different generations having a really good match with each other. Like, you know, we had the rock and Hogan and now, I mean, that was good for, for specific reasons, but I mean, it was, it was, it was a spectacle more than it was a match. Mm -hmm. And I think the Cena rock match was a legitimate match between somebody. I would say the rock was past his prime as a wrestler but still a, a huge character in the WWE. And Cena was probably peaking at that point as a wrestler before he would exit not too many years later. But definitely two different, we don't see a lot of examples of wrestlers from different generations coming together to have a legit good match. And that's what we had here. It was fantastic. I, I agree. It, yeah, it was a good wrestling match, regardless of who you were rooting for. And the fact that you really couldn't call it, I think I agree. It really kind of added to how awesome that match was for sure. I mean, I mean, you should watch even just the first five minutes where it's just a lot of posturing. I mean, there, you can feel it. You can feel the tension in that match. It's really, really good as they're sizing each other up. It's good. All right. Give me your number four. All right. My number four. And I, and so I, as we were sitting here, I did actually go through and I did, rank these so i do have a definitive top five favorite okay at this point. all right so my number four is could very easily even though i have a definitive top five these these could be very fluid <laughs> this one very easily could be my number one so this is from this is not a main event which again kind of bumps it up in my mind a little bit more that this just because it's a little bit more special because it's a an undercard match that is so good this this is a this is probably the match this might, might be the most iconic match of stone cold steve austin's career it is the the double turn match it is the submission match against bret hart at wrestlemania 13 this is the match and i say it's the most iconic because this is the match where when you see the the picture of austin with the blood just literally gushing down his face that comes from this match. This is a submission match. Ken Shamrock is the special guest referee. And this is what's known. They did what's known as a double turn. So coming into the match, Stone Cold Steve Austin is clearly, clearly the heel. Bret Hart is clearly the face. 
And coming out of this match, it's completely opposite. Bret Hart's the bad guy and Steve Austin is the good guy. And this is really kind of where, you know, they kind of strapped the rocket to Steve Austin and he just took off after this match. I don't, I don't think he had won. uh, No, he had never won a world title at this point. He ended up winning the world, his first world title from Shawn Michaels the next year, WrestleMania 14. But this is the match where, you know, the stone cold character, the badass stone cold character really took off. You know, he was in Bret Hart's submission. He never gave up. He, he quote unquote passed out from the pain and the blood loss. And it, and it just really, this is the match that kind of cemented that ass kicking Texan in everybody's mind of stone cold, Steve Austin. I mean, even though he lost the match, this, I, I, I gotta think this is the best match of his career, or at least, you know, one of those that puts him on the pedestal. Yeah. I it just, it's an iconic match. Absolutely loved it. It holds up really, really well. And even if you don't understand the whole double switch and kind of what led to this and all that kind of stuff, you can, you can come into this match cold and watch it. And it's just outstanding. And it is, it is bloody. In fact, at this time, WWE, I think actually had a, a no blood policy and these guys kind of went into business on their own and they decided they needed to get some color and the match was way, way better for it. It, This is one of those matches where the blood really did make a a difference in the match and made it better in my opinion. I absolutely agree with your assessment of this is the, this is the rocket pack on the back of stone cold. I think this is where he really cemented himself as someone to be talked about. I mean, obviously, and I don't remember timing wise where this fits in, you know, his match against Jake Roberts uh, at the King of the ring is when the stone cold 316 thing was born. But I think this was the one that really caught everybody's attention And I think he probably earned a tremendous amount of respect from Bret Hart during this match too, because I know that, that they had that, you know, between them. Uh, I did recently rewatch this match and I think a couple things really struck me. I think that Austin came out firing. I mean, he was just like the beginning of this match, he comes out, he, he does his Luthez press, you know, he gets down and starts beating on his head and, the match goes outside the ring and gets, I mean, it gets pretty, it gets pretty graphic. I I know the color. I couldn't tell if it actually was intentional or not. I assume that it was though, because of where it was, because it was definitely beside his eye. It wasn't above it on the forehead, which is normally probably where you'd get it by accident. But, you know, it's interesting because I, I, I actually think this is, one of the first times that I noticed a little bit of a decline in Bret Hart's abilities. Like, I don't think he was bad by any means, but watching Bret Hart at WrestleMania 13 versus watching him at WrestleMania 10 was a very different athlete. I think as, as we were seeing this, or maybe I was just kind of overshadowed by the fact that he was obviously turning heel at this point. Now, I don't Mm -hmm. know if that double turn was planned. I, I assume it was, but it felt like the crowd was the reason that Austin turned face. I mean, because they, I mean, he was never really face, but you know what I mean? Like, right. He became a fan favorite after that match, but I don't know that that was necessarily the plan. I think he was just another bad guy to put in front of Bret Hart. And, you know, Bret Hart wasn't, he didn't have the title at that point. Obviously this was a year after he had lost it to Sean. And I think that, you know, I, I'm really interested to know whether or not that was really planned or whether it's just kind of the way that it was, but yeah, I, def- I, I definitely felt that as I was watching that match. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I like you, I would imagine it was planned. 
but but who knows? I mean, it 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 might have just been one of those kind of perfect storm kind of things. You had asked about what the timing was from kind of the Jake match versus versus this. So the Jake match took place. That was the finals of the King of the Ring. That was King of the Ring 1996. And so that was like in, I think that year was in June. And so then WrestleMania would have been March of the following year. So you're talking, you know, within a year months later. Yeah. With it, but yeah, within, a, within interesting. A year. Okay. So. That's interesting. All right, sir. What do you have for your number four? Well, I feel like I'm getting ready to knock another one off your list. And I apologize for this because you, you're way more qualified to talk about this, especially before I am. But it's really hard not to put this on the list because I watched a little bit of this earlier and it gave me the chills and it was just amazing. And I will probably watch it again soon. It was Hogan versus Rock at the Sky Dome at WrestleMania 18. Uh, this, I mean, it was just, it was a phenomenal match. I don't know that it was a good match. I don't know that I could say that technically speaking, it was a good match. I don't know that technically Hogan has ever wrestled a good match, but you know, to understand the story of what was going on. And even I'm not entirely sure I remember all of it, but this was Hogan's entry back into the WWE. This was after WCW folded and Vince McMahon purchased it. And the NWO came and invaded the WWE and all the different members of the NWO versus, you know, wrestled different members of the WWE. And, and I don't even remember if this was a main event. I don't think it was right because it wasn't a title match. No, it was not, but they came out and the crowd went absolutely ape shit. It was insane. And you can tell very clearly when you watch this match that Hogan had no idea, no idea that the crowd was going to be into him. And, I, I want to take a second to really acknowledge the brilliance of the rock and, and Hulk for being able to play with that in the moment. Right. Because I guarantee they both had a plan of what they were going to do when they went out there, but they had no idea it was going to go the direction that it did because the crowd just, they absolutely turned that match on its own head and Hogan had no idea he was going to get cheered and, you know, I still think it's a disappointment that that The Rock won that match, you know, even though he was clearly the face, he was clearly the one that everybody was supposed to be rooting for. But that first shove when Hogan puts The Rock on his ass and the crowd goes nuts and Hogan starts just crunching those poses because Hogan most pose. It was bone chilling. It was so good. And I mean, it's just, it was such a moment. It was such an incredible WrestleMania moment that it, it, that moment alone deserves to be on this list, but the match overall, another match with finishers being stolen and things like that. The Hogan uh, Hogan gave rock the rock bottom at one point. And I mean, the crowd just lost their mind when he didn't get the three count with it. It was, I mean, it was so good. It was just magnificent. And um, I still watched that match with just a little bit of hope that maybe this time, Hulk will get the three count, even though I've been way over, you know, the fact that I, you know, I haven't been a Hulk Hogan fan for a long time at this point, but just seeing the crowd and seeing how that was going was, was fun. And of course, this was the first time he had appeared at a WWE WrestleMania as a heel. So it was really, 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 really fun. So sorry. I know. I know. I totally stole it. I know. That's okay. No, that's okay. 
So yeah, so, so here's the nice thing about the way I have my list tonight. Uh, like I said, I had 16. Yes, th- this was my number two. So I will, I will respectfully remove it. <laughs> no, from you can my keep list. it. You no, can no, keep no, it. No, that's fine. I I, no, that's fine. I will remove it from my list because then this way it gives us an opportunity to talk about some other matches as well. <laughs> but I will say, obviously, it, it was my number two. This match was incredible. Uh, this was in the Toronto Sky Dome as well. So this was the first time that Hogan had been back, not only as the heel, but since but since he wrestled Warrior at WrestleMania six, where he lost. Um, yes, th- I, I think um, Bruce Pritchard and Conrad talked about this particular match. This was not planned. You're right. This was yeah. absolutely not planned. And I remember watching this. This was before it must have been. Yeah, this was before we started watching manias together because I remember I yeah. was living in Washington, D.C., and I remember, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure our, 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 our listeners have heard the term marking out, right? When you're a Mark, you're a wrestling fan, you're a Mark, you go crazy. But I literally was standing in my family room, cheering, watching this. Ma- I remember it like it was yesterday. I am getting goosebumps now thinking about it. It was, you know, when we talked, you know, I talked earlier in the podcast about rock versus Cena as being kind of two tippy top guys talk about another match where you've got two eras colliding and, and you're right, probably not the greatest tech, not nearly as good of a match as that one was, but from a spectacle perspective and talk about two guys that know what to do when they've got an audience in the palm of their hand. Yeah, for sure. It was just amazing. And, and I mean, when you, you know, whether you like him or not, I mean, Hulk Hogan is professional wrestling, right? I mean, we, we don't have professional wrestling today without Hulk Hogan, Again, Absolutely. whether you like him or not, whether you think he can wrestle or not. Um, I, in fact, I don't, there's probably very few people that would argue that he's a good wrestler, right? But he's, I mean, he is, he is the cornerstone of what we know as professional wrestling today. So yeah, outstanding pick. Can't disagree with anything at all. Yeah. I'm sorry. I knew, I knew for a fact that I was going to, I didn't try to steal it. It just wasn't as high on my list as I knew that it would be on yours. That's fine. My then number five, four, my number three, um, ironically enough is another Hulk Hogan match. I can almost, I can almost guarantee you it's not on your list. So I already know fa- what it's going to be. I think fact, I already know. In fact, it's probably not on very many people's list because it's not a great match. But to me, this is the quintessential Hulk Hogan match, even more so than the rock match. The rock match that we just talked about was certainly more of a spectacle. But when I think of Hulk Hogan, I think of you know, the red and yellow, the, when it comes crashing down and it hurts inside, I'm a real American. This to me was, was never on more display than it was at WrestleMania seven against Sergeant Slaughter. This match is, is so over the top star spangled. Awesome. It's not even (laughs) funny. So, so if you don't know WrestleMania seven, it was in Los Angeles. This is at the time of the original Iraq war. So what was that desert storm that what, mm-hmm. whatever it was, I the think first so. time we were. Yeah. And 
you know, whether you believe the story or not, originally it was supposed to be at the LA Coliseum. They ended it, they ended up moving it to another venue venue within LA. I don't know if it was for soft ticket sales, if it was for security purposes, it doesn't really matter. They had brought back Sergeant Slaughter, who Sergeant Slaughter in his previous run in the WWE was kind of the precursor to the real American Hulk Hogan, right? He was the yo-jo, I'm I'm a I'm an American. They brought him back this time with the Iron Sheik and Colonel Adnan, I believe. is So he was essentially an Iraqi sympathizer. He had won the title from the Ultimate Warrior at the Royal Rumble when um, Randy Savage just beat the shit out of, of um, the Ultimate Warrior. So, he, so Slaughter won the title kind of as a, as a chicken shit heel move, and he'd hung on to it the, almost the entire year. This match has every Hulk Hogan cliche ever in it. He hulks up, he does the big boot where this one really kind of puts it over the top for me is there's a, so Sergeant Slaughter uses the iron Sheik's finisher in this, during this run, which is the, the camel clutch Hulk Hogan breaks out of the camel clutch. Slaughter actually has him down, has him pinned Hogan is bloody and they actually put the is it I can't remember which flag it is now but they they put a flag over him and they go to cover him I must was it the American flag or the Iraqi flag I don't remember which one it was but they they cover the they cover him with the flag and that's when Hogan makes his comeback he kicks out he wipes the blood off his face and it, you know he beats up everybody and it, you know and it's a pretty typical ending at that point it's the it's the you know, the big boot and the leg drop, but it, it is to this day, if I'm going to watch one Hulk Hogan match, this is the one this personifies Hulk Hogan. And again, it, this is why it's really important to me that we do favorites and not best. <laughs> this is not, this is not by any stretch the best match, but it is my favorite Hulk Hogan match. I mean, that's cool. I, I totally understand that. I think at the time it's going to be hard for me to remember exactly kind of what my thoughts were at the time, but this was coming obviously a year after an epic match with the ultimate warrior when he lost the title and everybody sort of thought that Hulkamania was done. And I think a lot of people, including myself, were kind of ready for that because he had run his course. He had done the red, white, and blue and the red and yellow thing for a, a long time. And we'd seen it. And every time you see Hogan, it's kind of the same thing. And I think that, by WrestleMania seven, I hadn't really attached myself as much to what was going on, you know, politically to really understand why it was important that Hogan was doing what he was doing at WrestleMania seven. So to me, it just seemed like another excuse to give him back the belt, which I was still a big ultimate warrior fan at that point. So I was a little bit bummed that I don't really feel like he got the chance to be the champion that Hogan did. Now, granted, there were a lot of reasons that they didn't give the warrior that same chance. He was legitimately not drawing the same way that Hogan was. And I think that they had run into some barriers with the warrior in terms of how he was to deal with behind the scenes. And eventually they had to, they felt like they had to take the title off of him because it just wasn't working. But at the same time, from my perspective, I didn't really think the Hogan character had anything new to offer. So 
I, I didn't, I, I, but I honestly don't remember that match very well, other than it was obviously surrounded a lot by what was going on in the Gulf War. And some people may have a legitimate argument to say that the WWF kind of exploited that a little bit, which, you know, yeah, 100%. maybe, maybe, 100%. maybe they did. Yeah. They, they used it as a storyline to be able to sell their product. Uh, but a lot of people like yourself really, really loved it. So is it, is it that bad if it becomes, I mean, you being the wrestling fan that you are and it being such an important memory for you, you know, maybe it's not so bad. I don't know, but it was, it was definitely at a time uh, where I think it, it, you know, Hogan was able to kind of step up as the legitimate real American. So it, you know, I think, I think it's a good choice. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, yeah. So what that was, that was 1991. You know, if that wrestling storyline were to take place today, let's just say for argument's sake, John Cena comes out and they, oh, oh hell, let's just say Hogan's still around and he's, and he's going to battle against Nikolai Volkov, right? The bad Russian, right? Unfortunately, we're back. We're back into a time where Russia is the bad guy, right? I, you know, I, I don't know if I would be as enthralled by it now as a, as a guy in my mid forties, but I think you're right. At least, at least at that point, what was I? I was, I was 15, 14 years old. You know, I probably didn't truly understand the world ramifications of what was going on, but yeah. Hulk Hogan was just, you're right. He was the real American at that point. So, well, and it's, I want to make sure that I'm clear about something like I'm not holding it hostage or I'm not, I'm not putting it on trial for what we would think of it today. Right. So there are a lot of things. If you go back into the history of wrestling, a lot of stuff that doesn't age well, that does not age well, things that are misogynistic, things that are, are physically, abusive towards women and things like you know like stuff that the storylines back then they were just it was a different time and i'm not saying that that makes it right but it makes it different and we have to sort of let it exist in the time frame that it did so i want to be clear like i'm not knocking it for being uh for for exploiting what was going on at the time but you know that was definitely i think a criticism of some people all right uh what do you got sir so my number two is uh, a match from WrestleMania four. And it's, it's just like front to back, just a really exciting, fun, crazy match to watch. And it's the first time that, that macho man appears on my list. It's macho man versus Ted DiBiase for the, for the world title. And this is of course the first time that the title will be held by anybody other than Hulk Hogan and, and a handful of years and notoriously i think wrestlemania 4 is not looked at as a really great wrestlemania but i remember watching it as a kid i remember going to the video store and paying two dollars to go get a double cassette tape of wrestlemania 4 because it was really billed as the rematch for hulk and andre which turned out to be the lamest match on the entire thing what was great is that macho man works his way through the tournament and becomes the new anointed face champion of the WWF at the time with Hulk Hogan in his corner, of course, because Hulk is never far behind, especially in the mid to late eighties, but the match is really good. And it showcases everything, all the great signature moves that the macho man had 
And the combination of, of, Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase, in my opinion, was magic. I honestly think that Ted DiBiase was the best opponent that the Macho Man ever had because DiBiase can sell. He can sell so well. And the the combination of Macho Man's <laughs> cocaine-fueled like, like rage versus you know DiBiase, who is the diabolical millionaire kind of thing. It just it was such a great combination. And, you know, he did the thing where he jumps over the top rope and he brings DiBiase down on his neck and DiBiase just flips back like a slingshot. And it was just great. And I just remember the crowd getting so excited watching this match when, you know, Savage hits that elbow drop and gets the three count. And I, I don't know, it just it was a really exciting match. And it was a nice little even though it didn't last, it was it was like the beginning of a change. You know, it was something different when they, when they put the belt on someone else. And I thought that, yeah, I mean, I've, I've certainly in previous podcasts talked about how much I love Randy Savage and how I think he's legitimately one of the best talents that has ever been in that business period, end of story. And I was really glad to see him get that belt in that WrestleMania. He was a fun face. He was a better heel if I'm being honest, but he was a really fun baby face. And, and that WrestleMania four match was just absolutely fantastic. You tipped your hand a little bit. You said that this is your the the first time Savage is appearing on your list. I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. I've got two picks left, and and Savage is in both of them, and I'm not going to move these last two. Um, <laughs> and so 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 I so I have a feeling there's a lot of Savage coming up now. That I think just kind of is is super consistent with previous podcasts where we've talked about our Mount Rushmore and, and you're right. I think WrestleMania four in general is not necessarily thought of as a, as a great overall card. And, and candidly, I think it's because they, they put, they tried to do too much, right? They, right. they did that entire tournament and there were 16 matches on that card, <laughs> 16 ma- And it was, and it was one night. And so the problem is like the matches are, nine minutes, five minutes, four minutes, nine minutes, five minutes, two minutes. Mm-hmm. They're just like, they just kind of go through them. Right. And, and so I think that's part of the reason why it's not necessarily, you know, there's not, you know, there's not a real standout match necessarily, but right. I would agree. I mean, DiBiase is an amazing foil for Savage. We should do a podcast someday about the best wrestler to never win a title. I tell you right now, DiBiase is on that list because well he made his yeah. own title so well, I don't know okay if we can the put world him on that t- list. the world title yeah the world title yeah, okay yeah oh that's a really good one oh shit we should have done that tonight man that yeah. would oh that's a that's a good one but uh, but yeah I, it, it was great I was I was really I was happy to see Savage win the title um, th- this this wasn't one of the matches that I would have chosen but I can totally see why it's on there. And I know you're a big, you're a big uh, million dollar man fan as well. So that it doesn't, I'm a mark doesn't shock for both. Me. Yeah. 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 It doesn't shock me to see that. I, I agree. WrestleMania four on paper is a great idea. I love the idea of a tournament. It's great. But when you put it on a televised wrestling broadcast, it's actually kind of terrible because you know, you have to push things along and every one of those matches was kind of predictable, right? Because you're like, I'm pretty sure they're not going to give Greg the hammer Valentine the world title right now when you've got all these other characters in here and, and Don the rock Morocco and you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately it, it, 
I don't know. I still, I, I have a soft spot for it. I don't know. I love, I like WrestleMania four, even though I don't revisit it a lot, but that match with Savage and DiBiase is a really great cherry on top of that, that whole event. I thought it was, it was really fantastic. Yeah, no, no, it was, it was, I, I agree. And I, and I, and I know, I remember you and I have rented that, that double cassette or, you know, several times over the years, did they give us, was that counted as one or was it counted as two for the five for five for five? Do you remember? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we cared, but I, I, I think it was one, but so, so the thing that I feel like is really interesting about this is that Savage wrestled four matches in one night, right? Yeah. That was four matches and uh, yeah. Okay. You know, wrestling is choreographed. It's not real. It's not an actual, you know, competition in the same sense that a sporting event is, but still four matches in a single night. I don't care how short any of them are. That's a lot. And when he saved all his energy and, and intensity for the last match, I mean, that's impressive. It, it is. And, and, you know, I, I think the other thing that another reason why a tournament doesn't necessarily work in a one night scenario because you've got so many matches you're spending so much time getting to the ring walking away from the ring like back and forth and back you know because the guys yeah. aren't there all the time yeah um i remember i i did a podcast way way back in the day where i was talking about the the wrestling classic and the wrestling classic was like the very first so it was episode seven of this podcast yeah the wrestling classic was the very first i think or maybe the second WWE pay-per-view ever. And it was another card, 15 matches back and forth and back and forth all night long. And they were, you know, matches that were eight minutes long, seven minutes long, five minutes, long, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I agree. I think it's, I think a tournament in general is better on paper than it probably is an execution, but yeah, I, I'm certainly not taking anything away from your pick at all. Great, great pick. All right. Let's uh, let's see your next one. All right, so I've got uh, I've got two savage matches coming up. I'm as I look at my card at my um, I actually have two matches from WrestleMania seven, and I'm shocked that I would do that. Wow. This other this one is the ultimate warrior versus Randy Macho Man Savage at WrestleMania seven. It is a career ending match that both guys put their put their careers on the line. And this was the first time that Randy Savage went away. Again, I mentioned it earlier. This was, this was set up when the ultimate warrior was the champion and he was wrestling Sergeant slaughter and the macho King at the time came out and bashed his scepter over the head of the ultimate warrior and allowed the, Sergeant Slaughter to win the title. That's where this match was set up. So that was, I think, at the Royal Rumble. Yep. And then this was the first time that I could remember multiple finishers being used in a match where a guy kicked out of multiple finishers. If I remember correctly, Savage hit the elbow. I think he hit his elbow drop three times on the Ultimate Warrior. And Warrior kicked out of it. And he kicked out of it and he kicked out of it. And like, at that point I was like, holy shit, like who's going to win this match. Right. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure warrior might've even have hit his finish a couple times and Savage kicked out and you, you just didn't know what was going to happen. And 
you know, I don't think anybody actually believed that either of these guys would actually stay retired, which obviously didn't happen. But but this match, so so Savage was escorted to the ring by uh, Sensational Sherry at the time. I don't know if she was Queen Sherry or what have you, but and she was a just an amazing heel, amazing heel referee or, or, or manager, valet, whatever you want to call her. I, I wasn't super keen on the way the match ended because but it was i mean basically it ended with with warrior essentially just kind of putting his his foot on savage's chest in the middle of the ring and kind of stood over him and and beat him and then you know but again it was it was this was the first time that i remembered oh that's that's a kind of a passing of the torch kind of thing like savage you know did did his job right did the job and put the warrior over and put all that heat on the warrior and then, you know, after the match, Miss Elizabeth came back to Savage. They had been kind of broken up in storyline and they came back and they got back together. And, and, and it was a it was a nice kind of pick me up for the, um, you know, for the downer that was the Randy Savage losing his career. Uh, but it, it, th- this is this is another one that is just full of emotion for me. Didn't know who was going to win. Wasn't a main event and just absolutely love this match. I remember being really shocked by the fact that Randy Savage lost because I I didn't think the ultimate warrior was going to lose necessarily, but at the time of watching this, I I don't think I had a concept for the fact that retirement matches aren't really retirement matches. Like they don't really matter. Right. Like we've had a bunch of those. I mean, okay, sure. Uh, Sometimes, you know, when it's a retirement match, like Ric Flair versus uh, Shawn Michaels or something like that, like (laughs) you knew Ric Flair was going to lose. But I thought it was really interesting at the time because, I mean, it was Macho Man and it was Ultimate Warrior. I'm like, how are either one of these guys going to retire like that? Going into that match, I had no idea what was going to happen. And I think it was a good match, but only because the Macho Man was you know, leading everything there. I, I I don't, you know, I always love the warrior, but he's not a technical wrestler either. I think that Randy Savage completely carried that match for the most part. And I think the ending was really sloppy. I would totally agree with that. I, I remember the pin. I don't remember what happened prior to the pin. I know it wasn't a situation where the warrior hit his finishing move and there you go. I think he just stepped on his chest at one point and then it was over and it was really confusing. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember if he hit the, the, the gorilla press slam or not. I don't, I, I don't, I really don't remember. Yeah. I'm sure he did at some point, but I, I very specifically remember like at some random point, he just stepped on his chest and it was over. And I remember thinking, well, that didn't make any sense at all, that it was very anticlimactic and it felt maybe like something was botched and they had to figure something out or maybe Macho Man just wanted to get the fuck out of the ring. I don't know. But yeah, I, I, I like that match. I thought that was really good. And I think that Savage was a big reason for that. And that is a rivalry that I think would have been more interesting to see a couple more times. You know, like if it was I agree. done yeah. today, if that rivalry was done today, we'd have seen two or three matches with them leading up to that point. And then this being the culmination of that. I don't yeah. even remember really what the 
what was the storyline going into that? Do you remember that? Because I don't. I did. I should have done some research. But I mean, it was it was it. Well, it was just it was just that Savage cost Warrior the title when he hit him with the scepter. Oh, yeah. the Royal Rumble. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So so that's actually a really good lead into that. But it would have been nice to see a couple other matches with them and then have it sort of climax at WrestleMania. But yeah, what yeah, what I don't really remember is I mean, clearly that was kind of the start of it, but I don't remember like what what they did in the months between the rumble and, and WrestleMania, you know, I mean, well, like back to, to, to kind of escalate to a career match that I don't yeah. remember back then. I mean, you have to remember like those guys were still wrestling enhancement talents for the most part. When, when they were even on like the warrior probably wasn't even on a show other than like a main event or anything, he wouldn't have probably, been on yeah. any of the smaller shows. He wouldn't have been wrestling any of the jobbers or anything like that. So and probably not Macho Man either for that matter, but I long-winded way of saying great pick. It was a great match. It was one of the standout matches of that specific WrestleMania for me. And, uh, you know, seeing Elizabeth never makes me sad. So not at all. Not at all. There you go. All right. Are we to your last pick? We are to my last pick. Yeah. The most right. what do you got? anticlimactic, predictable last pick of all time. I have a t-shirt with this match on it i mean it's pretty embarrassing if i'm being honest but it's historically the match that i have held as the standard of wrestlemania matches and i think one of the goofy reasons that i feel that way is because i remember watching this match a long long time ago and thinking wow this is one of the greatest matches i've ever seen and then over time after that I learned that many other people felt the same. So I felt like I was the trendsetter. Like I was the reason this match was as good as it was, which is clearly very true. But the Macho Man, Randy Savage, against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, WrestleMania three, the Pontiac Silverdome. It was unbelievable. It was such a good match. And you have to understand, like this was before all the pageantry and the and the trons and all of that stuff. Like there was nothing, there were no frills. It was still, you know, Randy Savage and Elizabeth, but it was just two incredibly gifted technical wrestlers going at each other for the intercontinental belt. And it was such an amazing match and steamboat wins it with a small package to take the intercontinental belt. And it's funny because my memory of steamboat after this match pretty much dissolves and goes away. Like, I guess at some point he lost it to the honky tonk man, but I don't even remember how that happened, but this match is really good. And these guys give everything that they have to make this the best match possible. And Randy Savage gets the ring bell, which was like a thing for him back then. And, you know, crushes him in the throat and it's so good. And, you know, um, I think that steamboat is an underrated wrestler. He didn't, really make much of a mark after this i think he left after he lost the intercontinental belt for a while he came back for a very small stint as the dragon and then he went back to the wcw and had a really great run with rick flair and probably notably was more relevant in the wcw than he ever was in the wwf but this you know that's that's a good argument but i thought this match was so good this is one that i revisit often and it's fantastic. And it's it absolutely steals the show. Like, I don't care what anybody says. I mean, Hogan Andre had its significance and it was important for its reasons. But this was like 
not even arguable, the best match on the entire card. I sat down and I made out my list. And basically what I did was I pulled up all 37, 36 WrestleManias. And I kind of started going through and I said, okay, well, which, which matches can I, can I put on this list? The, the one except the, the exception to that, or the caveat to that was I already had one match on my list and it was my number one match. And it was this match. This is the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. This is my number one as well. It has to be it, right. It, it, it has is, to be. It is. It, it's a, again, it kind of, it, it checked all my boxes, right? It was, it was a match that you didn't know who was going to win. It was a match that it wasn't the main event. It was a match that was a outstanding wrestling match. It was a match that you could turn on today without having any knowledge of what went into it and watch it and be like, holy shit, that's a great match. And if you know all the backstory and if you understand the year almost that went to building this match, it just makes it better. You know, you, you mentioned the ring bell. So leading up to this match, Savage had done that same move to steamboat and he had quote unquote crushed his larynx and so yeah. there was vignettes where where steamboat was trying to talk and was, <laughs> you know he had no voice and you know that kind of thing i i, I mean the, you know it's funny so we, we make a we make a drinking game every year and and one of the one of the rules in there is kind of a joke but it's it's that the match ends with a small package well that's exactly what happened here right and it wasn't yeah. a joke and it was and it came out of nowhere and it was amazing and it was and it was one of those things where, you know, I, I, I don't remember candidly. I don't remember the first time I ever watched this match. I don't think I watched this pay-per-view live. No, definitely not. But, but I would agree. It's, it's definitely the best match on the card. Certainly Andre and Hogan is, is probably uh, more iconic. Yeah, more iconic, but this is, I I mean, hands down, this is a better match. This is the greatest WrestleMania match of all time, hands down. And and the fact that it's number one on both of our lists, I think this might be the first time in the podcast that our number ones are the same. Uh, Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's awesome. We've certainly we've certainly had overlaps and we've had similar numbers, but this might be the first time that our number ones are the same. And like I told you, this this is one that I was not willing to take off my list because this is clearly the number one match of all time. Well, and I should I should backtrack because you know I'm I'm trying to to obnoxiously take credit for you know feeling some vindication for thinking you know that this was the greatest match and I knew of it first, but I mean clearly it was us. Like both of us knew, both of us watched old WrestleManias all throughout college. And I, I, I remember WrestleMania three being one that we watched often because that to me to this day is probably still my favorite WrestleMania. I just, I love it. I love the the time period. I love how important it was to the WWE and their growth as a company at that point, because this is what launched them into the stratosphere. I mean, WrestleMania one was big. WrestleMania two was also big, but I mean, WrestleMania three was 93,000 people in the Pontiac Silverdome and it was the biggest indoor attendance event. You know, I guess if you want to believe that number, I, it's probably fudged a little bit, but it's funny. Even, even I'm, I'm looking right now, even on, even on Wikipedia, it says 93,000, whatever. And then it says in parentheses disputed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that wasn't accurate. But yeah. the point was, is that at that time, 
it nothing you know it was the biggest thing that the wwf had ever done and i i would argue that wrestlemania 4 was you know less popular it had dropped off after that probably because of hogan andre because hogan was the biggest thing that had happened at the time and you know where, gosh where do you go from hogan andre i mean that's that's real tough but you know the steamboat savage match i think to your point really stole the show it, it is historically known as one of the greatest matches on the card and it's funny because i actually went to the internet and i did a little research and i did a couple top five you know best wrestlemania matches of all time and this match didn't come up on any of them and i really? was really i i mean i wow and that was really disappointing i can only assume i can the, the only way that i can even fathom that is the people that are making those lists are much younger than us. Like in, the, you know oh, what I mean? For like, sure. That's the only, that's the only reason I can, you know, be, because here's, here's what you didn't see in our list. And I think this is very representative of our ages. You didn't see matches from like WrestleMania uh, 20 through yeah even forward right i mean like i'm looking at mine let's take a look so i i had wrestlemania 3 7 7 13 12 so my newest match is wrestlemania 13 yeah and that's already you know that's that's 15 years ago mm-hmm. you had wrestlemania 8 wrestlemania what cena rock is probably your newest one yeah, wrestlemania 8 sure. wrestlemania 3 wrestlemania 3 right so it's like and i think that's that probably says a lot just about kind of our age yeah but, and I, you know, I'm sure there's probably some younger listeners that, that are going to listen to this and say, oh my God, how could you not add stuff like the, you know, the, the, the three-way ladder match between the Dudleys and the Hardys and the, you know, what oh, happened, like yeah. those kind of things. Those I mean, are great that matches. Was, that was yeah. incredible. But like my, my, um, the reason that didn't end up on mine is because I've seen that match, but I didn't see it when it happened. Right. Like I didn't have right. the experience of watching it live and having the context of the storylines that were going on at the time. And that's the one bad thing about going back and watching those pay-per-views now is that I don't know what was happening. Like I can watch the matches and I can see that there were good matches, but I didn't have, I don't have the benefit now of understanding the storylines that took so long to build to get to that point. There were no, there were no, there are no stakes for me in those matches right now. So yeah, I mean, when, when Hardy gets speared by edge off that ladder, I mean, uh, it's, it's crazy fucking bonkers. Yeah. But I, you know, I I've seen that, but it didn't resonate with me because I wasn't a fan at that time. Like that, that was part of my sabbatical. So I didn't see that, but yeah, the, to your point, there are a lot of those moments in there. Right. All right. Uh, you got it. You got an honorable mention. I do. And, and, you know, it's going to be a very anticlimactic one because you already mentioned it and you're maybe a little surprised about this, but this is the Bret Hart versus Stone Cold at WrestleMania 13 match that, I mean, that match, it it was phenomenal. It was a really, really good match. And it was, you know, Stone Cold's aggression in that whole thing was really, really impressive. And, and Bret Hart really did a good job to sort of anoint him as, as a talent that everybody should know. And when he got color and he just bled everywhere, I mean, the mat looked like a goddamn murder scene. It was insane how much Stone Cold bled in that match. And I have to wonder what they were saying to each other while they were wrestling. Like, 
you know, Austin probably said, sure, I got another 10 minutes in me or whatever. And I just, I can't even believe it. Like I get a paper cut and I got to lay down for 10 minutes. Right. And, and this guy was <laughs> right. just like blood was pouring out of his head. You can't fake that stuff. So it was a really impressive match. It was a good thing for Bret Hart to do, despite the fact that he had been the champion before and he was really kind of wrestling on an undercard match. But, you know, Stone Cold was clearly the next up and coming huge star in the WWE. So, yeah, I mean, that match at WrestleMania 13, that was phenomenal. It was really, really great. All right. It, yeah, I, I, I can't disagree. Obviously, you know, I put I put on my list. So, um, I, like I said, I, I've got a gang of I mean, I've got a boatload of matches here. I, I guess I'm, I'm going to have to go with. Undertaker is probably my all-time favorite wrestler. He's he's certainly within the top. You know, it's either it's either him or Savage. No, of course. And, and the and the problem when you're talking about Undertaker WrestleMania matches is there's so many good ones to choose from. There's some stinkers in there too, but but for the most part, I would say that you know what? It's funny. Towards the back half of that streak, that's when they got really good. Some of the ones up front. You know, yeah. Snooker was Snooker was not great. Bam Bam was not great. Giant Gonzalez was fucking terrible. Like there's some some bad ones. But towards the, the back, a good one on the front half was the Jake, the Jake that Roberts one, one. That one was pretty. That was, that was the first. Yeah. That was the first WrestleMania he was in, and yeah. Jake DDT'd him twice. On the concrete, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't yeah. know if it was concrete, but I, I do remember that Jake DDT'd him twice and yeah. nobody gets up from the DDT. No one. Yeah. So that was really the launching pad, I think, for The Undertaker, especially specifically for WrestleMania. So um, so I, I ended up, you know, I'm looking, um, I'm going to go with the the first of two against Shawn Michaels. So this is WrestleMania 25. I can't really think of enough adjectives to describe this match undertaker. If you look at him today, not today, even the last couple of years of his career, right? He was very slow. He was not slow in this match at all. He was, he, he still might've not necessarily been in his quote unquote prime, but he was peak dead man at this point. And Shawn Michaels could still go. I mean, th 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 this match told th th they were already veterans at this point, but this match told a story and it, it, it was incredible. And then they, they did the same thing the next year at WrestleMania 26. And then at WrestleMania 28 and 29 undertaker had matches against triple H WrestleMania 29 is the match that is kind of the, the culmination of a four year storytelling period where you've got Sean and triple H. And then, so that's the one where it's triple H versus the undertaker in a cage with Sean as the, as the guest referee. And there's that iconic shot of the three of them up at the, at the, at the uh, top of the ramp, but WrestleMania 25 for me is where it, where it all started. I couldn't even go back. I couldn't even, I'd have to go back and look. I couldn't tell you the kind of setup beyond, Hey, I want to break the streak. I want to go against the best. And that's the undertaker. And, and these guys absolutely delivered this, you know, again, I'm in, I'm in my mid forties. And so you look at guys like Shawn Michaels and the undertaker and triple H and the rock. And, and like, that's kind of my wheelhouse when it comes to professional wrestling. And I just, I just can't think of a better match. I love these guys. I mean, that's an incredibly solid choice because those matches, both matches that he had, with Shawn Michaels in the consecutive years were fantastic. They really were. I think the only thing that kept me from 
putting those on the list is again the predictability of it because I never thought for a second Shawn Michaels would win those matches. Right. I just didn't think that he was the one that was going to be able to break the streak. To be fair, I didn't think Brock was going to be the one that broke the streak either. But because the the ending of the match seemed predetermined to me at the time, it was hard to to really get behind it. But at the same time, they were fantastic matches. You're absolutely right. The Undertaker was working as hard as he's ever worked in some of those uh, with, with Sean and with triple H in the years that followed that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's great. Um, especially that, that first match, the second match was a little more anticlimactic. Cause if I remember right, that was the Shawn Michaels retirement match. The second one that he wrestled uh, with the undertaker. I, th- I think it, I think it was yes. Cause Sean retired yeah. Ric Flair and then Sean yep. fought the undertaker the first yep. time. And then, and then the twice. second time yeah. he's like, well, I'm this time I'm going to beat him or I'm going to retire. And it's like, okay, right. we, we get it. Like we know what's going to happen there. Right. But that was, no, you're right. That was fantastic. All right. We made it, sir. We, we made did. It through, which was, Hey, um, I, I, I can't even begin to tell you how much I'm going to miss you next weekend. At, uh, not, you know, not this weekend, next weekend. Um, are you, tough. are you will, are you still, I, I don't, I don't know exactly what you're doing for spring break. I know you're going to be kind of off with your family. Are you still willing to submit your picks? Do you want to submit your picks Ooh. to go, to go for the John Cena trophy? I, well, of or, course or do you want to take a year off? Pick. No, 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 no. I want that fucking trophy in my house. <laughs> I, I was okay. instrumental in the uh, choosing of the trophy and I'm still just a tad bit bitter that it hasn't been won by me so far because I've come really close a couple of times. Yes, I absolutely went in on okay. the trophy. And if I can squeeze in maybe a Zoom here and there, maybe I'll let you know. I don't know if I'll get okay. that kind of affordability. But at the very okay. least, yes, I do want to be in that. As soon as the card is finalized, we're we're going to talk about okay. that and we're going to make that happen. Okay. Well, sure. I, yeah. Well, we. I'll t- well, yeah. What we'll do is we'll we'll put together and we'll lock in. Like, hey, here's here as of this date, if the card is uh, we are, we understand this card is subject to change, but maybe on that Friday we'll say, hey, look, here's here's what we know as of today. Yeah, here's what's going to be our game, and and we'll go from there. So we'll we'll do it. We should do like a shared Excel spreadsheet or something like yeah. that. We'll yeah, we'll yeah. figure it out. Okay. And before we before we adjourn, because I know that's where we're going here, I want to uh, wish a very very happy birthday to my absolute favorite album of all time. 1986, 5150 was born 36 years ago today. Uh, wow. Jesus Christ, I feel old just saying that out loud. 36 years ago today, one of my favorite, probably arguably my favorite album of all time came out. Uh, the first of the Sammy Hagar albums with Van Halen and still to this day, listen to it all the time. And yeah, today, March 24th is the 36th birthday. And just to make you feel a little bit older, Wolfgang Van Halen, uh, Eddie's son, just turned 31. Holy shit. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we remember when we uh, when we yeah. were listening to 316 off of the uh, Foreign Lawful Carnal Knowledge wow. album shortly after he was born. Yeah. We're, wow, that's crazy. We're pretty yeah, fucking we're old, old, my friend. We're, yeah. We're old. Yep. All right. Well, hey, this was awesome. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when this is going to drop, but we will get it out here as quickly as we can. 
And then uh, hopefully we can do a podcast shortly upon your return after spring break. And we can talk about all things WrestleMania. And uh, I think we got some cool stuff coming up, right? I, I don't want to like yes. pull back the curtain too much, but I, I think we're going to do some deep dives here coming up. huh? Well, we're absolutely going to do some deep dives. Uh, we, um, you know, one of the things that you and I are very, very excited about coming up in the month of May is the new Obi-Wan Kenobi series that's coming out on Disney plus. And we have been talking, you know, it's funny because I mentioned to you before we started recording this podcast that I was listening to our top five favorite Star Wars characters uh, podcast that we did uh, a long time ago. And we had talked about the Obi-Wan Kenobi show on that podcast and how we were excited that Darth Vader was coming back and Hayden Christensen and all that. So in honor of the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi show, which obviously features Ewan McGregor, we're going to do some deep dives on the prequel trilogy, which I think is long overdue because we did the sequel trilogy. We talked we about the things that we loved and the things that we didn't really love so much. But now we're going to go for the prequel trilogy, which may get a little bit more contentious. I don't know. I think it's uh, it's a little bit more up in the air as to you know whether we like that or not. But I'm really excited to tackle that. And it's going to be really, really, really fun. Yeah, I, I can't wait. It, it's been a long time since I've watched a couple of those movies i know and 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 i had and i certainly have not watched them with the critical eye of the podcast right with the with the kind of sitting down and taking notes and and so yeah I, i'm looking forward to having those discussions because e even though we i i think it's probably fair to say that at least two of the three sequel movies we kind of shit all over them i really enjoyed those discussions even though yeah. they were they oh were, yeah i really enjoyed those discussions even though they were at least two of the three of them were probably more negative than than positive but but i, I i'm really looking forward to seeing especially what phantom menace came out in 99 so that movie is you know more than 20 years old at this point yeah i'm looking forward to seeing kind of how our 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 views might have changed over over the last two decades of some of those films, I, 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 I might venture a guess that maybe we might not be as negative on them as we might have once been. We'll see. I don't know. I think that's fair. I think we may soften on them a little bit. I mean, yeah. you and McGregor coming back for Obi-Wan Kenobi is the reason that I think it makes sense to talk about these. And he yeah, was the best sure. part of that. I think we both agree uh, far none. Yeah. that he was a big part of that. So, yeah, I'm interested to see maybe, I mean, Phantom Menace is, is pretty polarizing some people really like it some people really hate it you know and and of course there's attack of the clones and revenge of the sith so we'll see what happens there but i'm anxious to sit down i haven't seen any of these movies in probably a handful of years i don't think i've rewatched the the prequel trilogy in a while so to be able to sit down and start taking notes and really detail out what i like and what i don't like i think this is going to be a really fun podcast all right all right, well, uh, with that tease out of the way, we're done. And this has been the 411 from 406. My name's Chewy. I've been joined by Mr. Pip. Thanks for listening, folks. Do me a favor, subscribe, send us comments. We love interacting with you. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good evening, folks. Enjoy WrestleMania. Adios.